Hello, my name is Dianic Martinez and I will be having an conversation with Christian Appel for the New York City Trans Auto History Project in collaboration with New York, the New York Public Library's Community Auto History Project. This is an auto history project centered on the experiences of trans identifying people. It's April 29, 2017, and this is being recorded at Midtown Sage location. Okay, Christian, tell me your name and your age if you would like. My name is Christian Hansen Appel, and I am 33 years old. Um, what is your gender pronoun? Um, I take they, them, or she, her. How would you describe your gender? My gender? Hmm, well, I identify as trans-feminine and non-binary and genderqueer. Mm. Um, and my gender is fairly, fairly fluid, um, but I identify very, very strongly with with um, with feminists. When and where were you born? I was born in New Rochelle. Oh, actually, I was born in New York. Um, on that precise, at least the hospital. But I grew up. <laughs> I grew up in New Rochelle, New York, which is uh, in Westchester County. It's one of the. F it's one of the first cities north of the Bronx. Hmm. Okay. Now we're going to talk about your early life. Okay. How long have you lived in New York? In New York City? Uh, well, in New York State my whole life. Um, but in New York... Well, no, actually, that's not true. <laughs> I've lived in New York City for the past two and a half years. Um, but I, I grew up until the age of 18 in New York, coming into New York City all the time. So how, how has it changed over, over these years? Oof, how has New York changed? Um, well, it's become a lot more expensive. It's become, I, I usually describe it as kind of like a playground for the rich. Um, when I was in my like very early 20s, it was kind of on the tail end of like wild ass New York. So there were still a few like really big, amazing parties, like the motherfucker parties. I, I remember that. I went to one of them at, in, at Limelight um, before that shit was shut down. Um, and I loved it. Uh, but uh, yeah, so a lot of, I think a lot of like the, a lot of like the radical queer like out there culture has kind of i think for a long time was pushed aside i think it's making a i think it's making a comeback it really is um i think giuliani was responsible for you know getting rid of so much of that and bloomberg just like made this uh, like what i said a playground for the rich um but uh I mean, it's also changed a lot since September 11th, unfortunately. Yeah, so, um, this kind of follows the same question. Mm. It says, what do you miss most about the way it used to be? The way that New York used to be? Mm. I miss... I miss how 
dirty it was. I was still pretty dirty, but I just missed how it was kind of gritty. Um, I miss that. I miss that it wasn't. I miss that like it wasn't just like a, a really ostentatious display of wealth everywhere. It wasn't just all about money, um, and that like it was more about art and culture and like being weird. New York was about being weird when I was younger, which was great because like. In the suburbs, there weren't that many weird people. So just knowing that this whole community of weirdos and queerdos existed, you know, so close to me, helped me, like, be okay with the fact that I was <laughs> weird as hell. Okay. Um, let me ask you. Sometimes, like, can I ask you right after, like, Yeah, you can ask okay, me Who are some of the great characters from here? From New York? Yeah. So some of the great characters. Oh. Um, oh, that's an interesting question. I don't think I was around in New York enough when I was younger to, like... I mean, I remember, like, Michael T. from... From the motherfucker parties, she was the DJ, and I'm actually. I I remember like meeting her and hanging out with her was really formative for me because she was super gender nonconforming. Like, she was always had full face on, like full makeup on, um, but she had short hair and her like suits were just like kind of flamboyant. But she, I never saw her in like a dress, and she always did a lip sync at the end of every motherfucker, and it was always amazing. But I remember that was like, that was an interesting thing for me to see somebody who was kind of in control, but also gender nonconforming, like someone that was like the organizer and the host of this huge, amazing historical party and was just didn't give a fuck about like conforming to any kind of gender, um, but wasn't just a performer or just at the party, was like, running that shit. I remember that being a big deal for me. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Do you remember... Um, describe... Describe your childhood and family background. Um, well, my parents are both from Europe. My mom is from Denmark. My dad is from Germany. Um, and I think because of that, they were really open to me expressing myself and my gender in ways that most parents in the 80s would not necessarily have been comfortable with. So they allowed me to play with whatever toys I wanted to, allowed me to dance around in a tutu with my sister, um, like encouraged me to take dance classes and do theater. Um, my father's side of the family had a lot of arts, um, like people in it my grandfather was a drummer and my uncle was like a pop star in Germany and did a lot of theater as well so yeah I think they they were good about that I do I have a very distinct memory of hanging out with this um hanging out with this boy when I was like I don't know five or something and I we were playing and I told him that I wanted to be a girl and he got kind of weirded out by it and I guess I told my mom later that day that I had told him that and um she said to me um 
you can't tell people that. And I, that was like kind of one of the last moments where I remember considering like, or like really internalizing like, I want to be a girl, but I, uh, I, I get to feel like maybe I gave it up then, you know? But there was no, I had no exposure to trans people at all. Had no concept of that for many, many years. I mean, I've, I'm sure I saw a lot of things in the media, but everything that I saw in the media was terrible about trans people. Either trans people getting killed, or you know, trans people as like villains, or trans people as as like sex workers, which which is great if you're a sex worker, you're a sex worker. But um, yeah, and sex workers' rights are important. And like at, when I was a young kid, like they were portrayed as like bad, horrible people. So this answers the question that I want to ask. Uh... I wanted, I wanted to ask that you basically you discovered that you were different mm. age four. Yeah, yeah. Mm, nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, my favorite color was pink. <laughs> pink? It was pink, yeah, when I was oh. a kid. And I remember very distinctly deciding that it was no longer going to be pink. It took me a long time so to like pink again. So that's your earliest memory. That's answer the question. What is, that's your earliest memory. My earliest memory? Um... That one, the one where I told my mom, I think that was a pretty early one. I have another one from preschool, so I must have been like four, three or four. And, oh God, I can still see myself. I am um, dressed in women's clothing because they had like a dress-up bin of mm -hmm. costumes. And I have like a long dress on and a hat on and a string of pearls. And I guess some of the boys had made fun of me and said, you can't wear that. And I went and sat in my cubby, you know, where you like, you put your things and just cried and sat there. And I can, I like have this like outer body image of myself. Like I can see myself somehow, weirdly. I, it's totally ingrained in my head. Mm, that's sweet. Well, sweet and sad. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that. Okay. Do you have any nickname, and how you how you get get it? Um, I I don't I don't okay. actually have. Do I wait? wait. Uh, actually, no. I do have one nickname. My sister calls me um, Shmi, and I'm I'm not even sure where it came from. Um, I think she just she likes. My whole family likes to like say like weird words and like make weird noises. We're kind of weird. Um, so I think it just came from something that she was, I think, oh, I know what it was. She like called me bro schmo for a while. And then when I was eventually like, I don't want you to call me bro. <laughs> she was like, okay, well, let's just change it to shmi. And she always calls me that, uh, which is nice because it's kind of like totally gender neutral. <laughs> so... As you know, I'm learning, so um, I'm going to kind of rephrase the end sentences, the, the questions in here. Uh -huh. So, what were your parents like? My parents? Uh, yeah, uh, well, like I said before, they were really um, su very supportive. My dad, um, my dad died when I was 23. Mm, that's sad. Yeah. So I never really got to talk to him about my gender identity. Um, 
I, I, that's like around the time where I started identifying as genderqueer, but I wasn't really vocal about it. And I didn't start identifying as trans until I was like 27 or 28. Um, so I think a lot about what, how he would have responded to it. He was super supportive of me being queer. And I think he would have been f- fine with it. He was a very deep kind of melancholy person, didn't have a lot of friends, but was very gentle and sweet. Um, and I still have a very, I still have a very profound relationship with him. Like his ashes are buried in the woods near my house and I go and visit them at least once a month and like just talk to him. Um, and I have the sense that... You are like him. In some ways, I am like him. Yeah, I yeah. since I met you. So now, now you know where you, take, where you get that from. Where I get what? The, like the melancholy? Yeah, from your <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. So what interested you as a child? Uh, performing, hmm. theater, dressing up, imagining things. Um, I, oh, I, this is actually really funny. My, all of my friends were... Um, Not all of them, but most of my friends when I was, for a while, were boys. Like, I had this group of boys that I hung out with all the time. And whenever we played house, um, I would always play the mother. Every single time, without fail. And they always accepted it. That's just what it was. I also bossed them all around and told them what to do all the time. Uh, I was a little bit older than them, and they so they remember that they all remember that that I was always the mother, and they're all and I'm still friends with some of them, and they all were like, "Yeah, you were the mom, duh!" Like you were super feminine, but also told us what to do all the time. So, duh, you were the mom. <laughs> that was that was hilarious. <laughs> When were you growing up? Did people encourage you to encourage your interest? Yes. Yeah, my parents very much okay. encouraged my interests. Um, they did make me play sports, though. Oh. And it was interesting because when I, I sucked at soccer and I sucked at baseball and they made me do it and I hated it. And then finally I got to stop. And then I took up playing soccer again when I was a little older, when I was a little bit more like comfortable with my body. And then I was really, really good. Which was kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who is the most important person in your life? Oof. Wow, that's a hard question. I mean, I don't really... I don't I, I I try not to make hierarchies in my life in general. So, I don't really think there's one person, but I think that like my mother and my sister and and my father still too are like the people that I um feel most connected to and that I feel most responsible towards. Um um yeah, especially since my father died. I, I felt really, and and they've been. And my sister has been incredibly supportive of me through everything. She's like the sweetest, most gentle, most loving person. Um, and uh, I live with her actually, and her name is Christina. <laughs> so we literally are kind of the same person in in some ways. Um, 
It's that sweet. Yeah. What is the moment you are proud of? Um, what's the moment I'm proud of? Ooh. Um, well, I think in most recent memory, um, last year, uh, I started the Transgenerational Theater Project, which is a, um, um, a theater project for uh, trans and gender nonconforming people of all ages here at SAGE. Um, and it's, it was, uh, like a eight week program where we created theater from our own ideas and then had a performance at the end. And I think at our, at our, at our, at our very last performance, there was like 150 people that came and, um, it was a hard process for sure. It was my thesis my master's thesis project for a, a, a degree in applied theater. Um, but I just remember sitting there and watching these participants who, when they, most of them, when they first started the program, had no experience in theater and were like, you want us to do what? <laughs> and then we're up there and creating this really beautiful theater, really powerful theater, and just looking at all of these people watching this happen and all these people were totally in awe, just like, I can't, like, because it was something so unique and so special and something that's never actually happened before in, like, the history of the world. There's never been a project that has been an intergenerational project just for trans people for around theater. <laughs> so this is a question of, that went out of mind. Uh, how did your uh, professor who assigned you this project, feel about it? And was he or she witnessing, witnessing the event? Uh, yeah, actually, um, one of the, my, the professor who, who uh, um, helped to connect me with the project was somebody who had done a similar project here at SAGE beforehand. Um, and it was called Bridging the Gap. And it was also an intergenerational theater project, but it was just open to all LGBT-identified people. And um, she had actually done it as... She had done that project as part of her thesis. And I read... When I read through her thesis paper, I noticed that over the course of five years of doing that project, she had had, like, one or two trans people the whole time. And I was like, oh, okay, well... This is something that trans people could really benefit from. Um, so, uh, and that, that year they had decided not to do that project at Sage, so there was a vacancy, um, and that's why we decided to do it. Have you been inspired by a recent or historical, social, or and political movements? Um, yes, yes, very much so. Um, I think I'm right now most inspired by um, by trans women of color and black trans women in particular who are organizing um, across many different uh, movements, but most prominently within um, racial justice movements and um, trans justice movements. Um, and the way in which they... Um, 
kind of integrate a lot of different oppressions into the work that they do, you know, understanding how, you know, intersectionality and how different oppressions are connected. Um, yeah, I'm really inspired by the trans um, women of color collective here. Um, I'm really inspired by the Audre Lorde project and the Silver Rivera project. Um, I think it's a, as a white trans person um, who comes from a relative, like, um, from from class privilege, um, I think it's it's really important for me to be um, to think critically about um, how my own identity um, intersects with with the experiences and the identities of trans women of color and how I can be, um, you know, how I can live and act in solidarity with them considering that they are my trans sisters. So I'm very inspired by that movement. So this is not a segue to the next question. What does community mean to you? And what does your ideal community look like? My ideal community, ooh, um, community looks like all sorts of shit for me. It's funny, after I, I, I like doing the transgenerational theater project has been one of the first times that I've been in like trans only spaces. And there's something about trans community that's just like really beautiful. Everybody's a little fucked up. <laughs> And that's just, and so you kind of bond over that too. Um, but people are so gentle with each other because of that too, because everybody's a little fucked up. You know, people are just like open and willing to take whatever you have to offer. If you're weird, if you're socially awkward, if you're on like the autistic spectrum, um, if you have a disability, those things. They are acknowledged and they are accepted because at your core you are still in community and solidarity by simply by the fact that you are trans. At least here, that's what I've experienced. I don't know if that's true everywhere. Um, in my ideal community, I mean, it's people that are supporting each other, that are showing up for each other. Um, that are living, uh, that are practicing mutual aid. Um, yeah, I have, a, I have a number of people in my life that are extremely radical in terms of um, giving themselves wholly and fully to um, supporting trans community. Um, and, and all of their resources and time, and it's a really beautiful, inspiring thing that I'm working towards being able to do more. Um, but there's there's something in that. There's something about that, about living your life every day, devoted to the the liberation of our community and of our people. That is what I would like to be doing someday. <laughs> okay, it says, the other question is like, what are some particular memorable positive experiences you have related, related to community? Negative or positive? Um, positive experience? I think this one is the biggest one. I also, um, well, I should, well, I go down to this um, 
radical queer and trans uh, space in Tennessee called Ida that has a big music festival every year. And um, I've been going there since I was like 25. Oh. Um, and they started doing this thing called the Trans Ladies Picnic where on the Saturday of the festival at like noon, all the translators got together and sat in the creek and ate together. Um, and I remember the first time I went, I was so nervous about it, but it was just, it was one of my first experiences of just trans people together. Um, and it was really beautiful, awkward, but beautiful. Um, negative. Yeah, I mean... I've had a very difficult time with the queer community or, yeah, the queer community. Um, I think the ways in which queer people and trans people, like queer cis queer people and, and um, trans people create community together is, is, is just difficult because of the, the politics of desirability and um, because of the way in which for so long, like feminist or femininity was looked down upon and masculinity was put on a, a pedestal. So I have a really difficult time, um, uh, like even now going out in New York to parties because so many of them, so many of the queer parties are uh, filled with cis gay men and I'm just like not interested in being around them at all anymore. Um, and there aren't as many... There are very few trans-specific parties um, and not that many like like queer women-specific parties and the ones that they do have, some of them aren't, aren't great for trans people either. So I wish there was, I wish there was more spaces um, and more opportunities for queer community that was more cognizant of the ways in which trans people could be centered in that community. So what part of communities are you part of? Describe the communities that you are part of. Uh, well, this one, the Transgenerational Theater Project. I, um, I am also part of SAGE, which um, stands for Services and Advocacy for ooh, GLBT Elders. Um, I am, have a job. That's it. <laughs> I'm the women's program and arts and culture program coordinator. So I'm definitely part of this community of older LGBT adults. And I love being part of this community because it is such a great, it gives me a lot of insight into the ways in which that I want to age and how I want to age um, and what to look forward to in that process. So how do you see yourself in this moment? of increased LGBTQ visibility? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, I'm just trying to live as openly as possible. Um, I try, when I walk down the street, I try, I literally try to imagine that I'm in a bubble. When I, I remember in middle school, I used to walk around as if, like, I used to walk around as if I was, like, marching through a minefield. Like, I would just not, I would try not to look at anybody, and I would try to 
walk as if I was better than everybody else, just as a protective defense mechanism, you know, because I'm, I was always ready for people to say nasty shit to me. I've gotten to this state now where, like, I walk down the street and I literally feel like I'm in my own world. And this is also kind of New York, like, nobody gives, most people don't pay attention to you, but I don't even notice when people look at me funny. I don't notice at all anymore. So I will walk down the street in a beautiful dress, in a leopard print huge coat, with a beard, uh, or, or a little bit of facial hair and long hair, and, and uh, I'm sure that people are looking at, funny at me, you know, because when I walk with other trans people, they're like, did you see that person? Did you see that? Did you see what that person did or looked at us? And I'm like, no, I don't. Um, I think, I also think when, in this, in this moment of increased LGBTQ visibility, you know, I do think about, you know, what this visibility, who this visibility impacts, who it um, helps and who it hurts. And something that I think a lot about is the fact that as a white trans person, I have, um, I am in a lot less danger or I feel in my own experience I feel like I have been in a lot less danger of harassment than my um, trans sisters of color. And that's something that I, that I try to think a lot about um, um, because visibility is not always just a positive thing. You know, it can have really intense consequences for different people. How do you see yourself in, a relation, in relation to other recent movements, social and political movements? Um, well, I see myself as, um, I try to see myself and I try to act as an accomplice to those movements. I don't really like the word ally, um, because you can like say that you're an ally, but not actually do anything. An accomplice means that you're actually taking an action that may or may not be illegal that may or may not be going against what is considered legal or right um, in order to um, support um, what needs to happen politically or socially by any means necessary. <laughs> um, this following question, I want to expand it a little bit. How do you balance yourself, personal belief, like religion, political party, with community belief? Oh, that's hard. Well, I'm an anarchist, so it... Um, Can you elaborate a little bit what is anarchist? What is an anarchist? Oh, okay. <laughs> so an anarchist is someone who does not believe in any hierarchy at all. Um, so I, for example, do not believe in government. Um, and I don't believe in institutions. I don't believe in nonprofits. Or, I mean, I don't believe that these things should exist. But I'm working in a nonprofit because... I need to survive, <laughs> and living in New York is really expensive, um, and if I'm going to be here and I'm going to survive, I'm, I at least want to try to be able to do something that I like or maybe even love doing. Um, so yeah, I'm constantly having to push my personal belief systems aside in order to you know engage with the world around me, um, particularly at work. Um, and that's okay for now. I mean, some, one of the, the other 
One of the cool aspects of anarchism is that it doesn't it doesn't say it doesn't have like a, a clear end goal. Like it's not like communism or Marxism where it's like our society and world needs to look like this. Anarchism just says that um, all of this shit is fucked up and we know that and we need to take it down. We need to dismantle it and we need to create something new. We don't know what that is. We don't know what that looks like. We have some ideas because we can see people working together in ways that are different from what we have had for so many, for since the beginning of humankind. Um, and so, you know, I just try to, I just try to focus on that, that outside of the work that I have to do in, in, you know, in, in the nonprofit sector, um, or any projects that I engage in, I can be doing stuff and I can be building community and I can be building projects that are more in line with my personal anarchistic beliefs. So what do you think religion plays a role? All religions in general, doesn't matter if you're Jewish, uh, Muslim, Christian, Catholic, what role do they play in our community, trans community? Oh, uh, uh, um, hmm. Well, I mean, if people have personal religions, it plays a role for them. I'm I'm an atheist, so I don't I don't I don't believe in God or anything like that. Um, I think that spirituality is something that's really important for anybody, but I, particularly for trans people, um, it's something that I haven't I haven't had access to for a very long time, and I'm really trying to to um, get more in touch with in a number of ways through meditation through communing with nature more um yeah i think i mean trans people need to heal you know we're in a constant state of needing to heal because we're forced into this world that has no interest in our survival um so healing is is integral to that survival um and i think that um, spirituality and, and developing a spiritual um, approach to living life can be a really great way to access radical healing. So now we're going to talk about identity. Okay. Uh, what is your relationship with other trans, transgender nonconforming people? Well, it's very good. <laughs> Um, I actually have two partners. I identify as, well, I'm like kind of polyamorous and kind of a relationship anarchist, um, which means that I have multiple partners. Um, and, um, yeah, and both of them, I have two partners right now, and both of them are, are trans and gender nonconforming too. Um, and having trans relationships, like, intimate sexual ones um, or partnerships I should say like totally changed my life um, and changed my relationship to my body changed my relationship to sex and love changed like what I imagined my future to look like and um, 
Yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for that. One of my partners is transmasculine and my other partner is transfeminine, which is also fascinating to have, to be, you know, to have a relationship with people, two different people who had very different experiences of trans identity um, and have very different bodies too that I can interact with in very different, amazing ways. Um, it just kind of, it's expanded my, my, understandings of what relationships and sex and intimacy can look like um and then some of my sorry just one more thing my um some of my most of my best friends and most of the people that i hang out with are trans now i just really try to surround myself with trans people because it makes me feel good and seen Mm. how do you see see how do you see the word or how do you think the word sees you Uh, how do I see the world? Uh, well, this world is fucked up. I see the world as a white supremacist. Oh, what is it? White supremacist, capitalist, cis, hetero, patriarchy. <laughs> so essentially, it's really oppressive um, and it's something that we need to tear down and rebuild. Um, okay. The world sees me as um, radical... It's probably insane, all over the place, dirty, uh, unreliable, um, um, kind of a creature, um, a little bit of a freak. Um, but also, I think, I mean, the world sees me that I think in the trans community, people, I, I like to think that people think that I'm. Um, powerful and magical. <laughs> so it says, how do you feel? Do you feel more visible because of your identity or identities? More visible? Yeah, for sure. When I walk okay. down the street, absolutely. People okay. are constantly like, I'm sure, looking at me. <laughs> how do you understand gender? Ooh, gender. Ah! So gender is, uh, for me, is a very personal thing. Um, On the Sylvia Rivera Law Project website, they talk about gender identity um, as a galaxy. So everybody has their own star, and that star represents your own personal gender identity. And every star is unique, and there are th millions of stars in the sky, so oh, which means there's millions of genders. I don't see it as being on a spectrum. Um, I don't see there being fixed points. I think it is a galaxy. So what does it mean to you to be yourself, to be real, or to be authentic? Oh, God. In terms of my gender, um, yeah, I think it's just wearing what I want to, looking how I want to. It was really interesting when I first started this job, like I'm the women's program coordinator, and I felt a lot of pressure to be really femme all the time and I had to realize that my authentic self was much more non-binary than that and that if I wanted to come in with a little bit of stubble on my face and no makeup on and you know pants and a sweater on like that I needed to do that in order to be my most authentic self okay so <laughs> this question is when, when, when you first became aware of gender Sexuality, race, ethnicity, and religion. Oof, that's a lot. 
Uh, when did I first become aware? Oh, God, I have no idea. Of gender, I think, when I was really young. Uh, when I mean, when I told you that story about me being <laughs> the um, preschool in my cubbyhole. <laughs> um, and sexuality? Oh, God, I don't even remember. I remember this other moment when I was in, like, fourth grade and these two girls made up a song about me and I can still hear it in my head and it was like he talks like a girl walks like a girl sings like a girl acts like a girl um, moves like a girl he is a girl and it's so funny because <laughs> well it's funny because they did not mean it sweetly at all but it was also just kind of affirmative because they ended the song by saying he is a girl and I'm like Great. Okay. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah. So, uh, when when did you first became aware of race? Of race? Um, fairly fairly um, early. My where I grew up um, is New Rochelle has one of the highest um, black middle classes per capita. Um, in the country, actually. Um, and the schools that I went to were extremely diverse in terms of race and class. And um, there were actually more people of color um, in all of my classes in elementary school than there were white folks. Um, what so, about, what about ethnicity? Same thing. Yeah, I mean, there are people from all over the from all over the world there, and from all sorts of different backgrounds. And we, the great thing about it was that the education was a lot less Eurocentric than most schools, I think, in this country for What sure. What about religion? Religion, <laughs> pretty young as well, because there were lots of, I mean, lots of different kids with lots of different religions. But my parents weren't religious at all. So since you said at the one of the previous questions that you were atheist, so when did you first realize that you you were okay? Religion is not for me. I'm gonna decide to be atheist. Oh, pretty young. Uh, my mom made me. <laughs> my mom made me. Um, get confirmed when I was 14 in the Danish Siemens Church <laughs> in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, Danish Siemens Church. Um, and uh, I had to go to like Sunday school for like eight weeks and it was all in Danish and I didn't really speak Danish that well at the time so I had no idea what was going on. So on the day of my confirmation, I said to my mom, because I knew that, I knew the one, one of the only things I knew was that the priest was going to ask me if I believed in God. And I was supposed to say yes. So I said to my mom, what if I say no? And she's like, do you want your Nintendo 64? <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was like, yes, please, I'll say yes. So that was the only reason I said yes, was because she bribed me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've always been, I've been an atheist for a long, for a long time. So when you first became conscious of yourself as, a, as an individual? As an individual? Um, ooh, that's interesting. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like you were conscious at an early age. Yeah, yeah, for like sure. When you first come in, you said you don't want, 40 years old, you don't want to become, you don't believe in religion. Yeah, 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 pretty young. I mean, I think my parents really encouraged me to 
you know, to, to do what I want to and be who I wanted to be. Okay, now we're going to change the topic. And okay. The next topic will be relationships. Oh, great. So what does companionship mean to you? Um, companionship? Um, I think it means really showing up for people um, whenever they need you and in whatever ways that they need you, uh, whether it's, um, you know, emotionally or even financially. Um, I think it's being present um, when times are good and when times are difficult. Um, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not very good at staying in touch with people or even communicating with people via text or email or anything. But when people need me, when people are having a difficult time, I will be there and I will be present. And that's something that's really important to me. Freedom is really important for me. I really don't like feeling like I'm tied down by anything or anyone. I don't know why. It's just I feel very, very strongly about it that like I need to be free. Um, and so I, yeah, I suck at communicating <laughs> with people and the people who, um, I, you know, I've lost a lot of friends because of that, but the people who come into my life who are okay with that and who have stuck with me, I have beautiful, beautiful relationships with that because they're, they don't expect that of me and, and, but that, but when they need things and they, and they tell me that they need things from me. I will show up for them. What does intimacy? Intimacy? What does intimacy means to you? Intimacy, I think, is really about vulnerability. Um, it's about being, you know, sharing the saddest and darkest aspects of your life and, and your thoughts um, and knowing that that person will hold those things and will be appreciative of you sharing them and will share that and share that sadness in a way okay um since we don't have enough time in the minute thing right here we're, we're not gonna try to like how do you know that 46 this this is have like a 50 something something minutes oh how do you know that they say that over there. oh okay So what's, now we're going to talk about self-care and systematic issues. Oh, okay. So what is going through your head when you are getting ready for the day? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I've increasingly had a more, a more difficult time getting dressed in the morning, uh, especially as whew, I've been, I mean, only in the past year have I been dressing super femme, or in the past two years. Um, and then when I started this job about a month ago, you know, I started wearing dresses almost every single day. And when I had my big coat on, I felt kind of protected by that. But now that it's getting warm and I'm just going to walk outside of the house in dresses, I'm nervous for sure. I have mace though, so I can use that. Disable some people. <laughs> so what are the things that you think about when you think when thinking about your gender identity? What are the things I think about when thinking about my gender identity? Um, I think about um, how it's going to change. You know, I, I'm, what it's going to be like in a year from now or in five years from now. Um, I'm thinking a lot about hormones right now. Um, I, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of body dysphoria. Uh, I never have really. Um, well, that's not true. 
I have some, but mostly around um, eating disorders um, and, and eating issues. Um, I had that a lot in my early 20s. But I never, you know, I, I have like a big old booty and I have some hips and I have some like a chest that's pretty pronounced. It's a very feminine body. I always have and I have really long hair. Um, but I, I, what I'm most interested in now is the impact that hormones would have on my brain and on the way that I engage with the world and on my feelings. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't mind some boobies. I like boobies. Okay. So what are you, <laughs> what are your everyday safety concerns? Uh, yeah, that people are, someone's going to throw, <laughs> recently people have been throwing things at me. <laughs> Yeah, I was walking in a park and these kids started throwing tennis balls at me and I just threw them back at them. <laughs> and then someone threw ice at me too. So I'm just worried that someone's going to throw like a... I used to have this fear actually when I was on a sidewalk when a car with a with a roll down window would walk would go by that someone was going to throw a bottle at me and like seriously injure me. So I carry mace with me now because like, I said earlier... So do you feel that you have to choose between expressing your gender identity and economic sec economic economic security social is Oh my god, totally. Are you kidding me? Like getting this job, this was one of my only prospects because I had no I I, I couldn't even have imagined myself working in a space that in some way wasn't connected to trans people because I yeah, I couldn't. It's wild to me to think about how few spaces there are, how few employment opportunities there are that are not only available for trans people, but that would actually be remotely supportive of trans people. So yeah, I've had to give up. I mean, if I'm sure I could have had many more um, opportunities or whatever if I had not. So the question is that in trans, how do you balance your personal ideals of beauty with community <laughs> standards of beauty? Um, actually, that's interesting. Like, I've been thinking about that a lot lately because when I when I do dress up very very femme, I I can pass pretty pretty fairly fairly well, and I'm not even on hormones and. Um, the ways in which other people in the trans community kind of put that on a pedestal when I'm doing that and I'm like oh my god you make such a beautiful woman like you are like you look so good you pass so well for at some points it, it started to like make me feel really good and I and I feel like I've had to like really resist that and be like no fuck that like This is not what it's about for me. Like, great when I look, when I put all, when I'm super femme, I look beautiful. Great. But I want to feel and look beautiful all the time, whether or not I'm super femme, whether I have some stubble on my face. I think non-binary identity is, for me, a more, I think it has more radical potential in terms of changing the narrative of gender and changing our society at large than binary trans Identities, And that's a very intense thing to say. You know, I think anybody should identify and present themselves as they would like to. But I think in terms of, like, really dismantling and challenging 
uh, the historical understanding of gender in this world, I think non-binary kind of, you know, blows the lid off of that shit and is exciting in a way. Do you have any experiences with mental health and mental illness? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know any trans people that don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I've, I've suffered from depression, um, pretty debilitating depression. Um, I have from substance abuse issues, um, anxiety issues. I mean, I think I've, I'm doing a lot better than most people because uh, I think mostly because I have a family that really supports me, and I've had that as a incredible support base emotionally and like physically in terms of housing sometimes and financially too. Um, and that's saved my ass and probably my life many times. So what is your experience with healthcare? Ooh, um, I didn't go to the doctor for such a long time. I didn't go to the dentist for seven years, which sucked. Um, because I hated going to the doctor because I, they just, I, they didn't know what to do with me. And when I, when I finally, I went to Cal and Lord for a few years. I didn't really like it there that much. And then I started going to Apacha because they have a trans clinic there. Mm. Um, and I've loved it. I got, they asked me if I wanted a gender non-conforming doctor. So I had a gender non-conforming doctor for a while. And I had a trans therapist too. And it totally changed my life. It totally changed my relationship to my own health and to my body and it made me much more able to advocate for my health and much more excited about taking care of myself and like being a relatively okay person. So that's part uh, of the next question. Do you feel these movements and organizations adequately service and represent trans and gender nonconforming population? Oh, that's a really rough question. I mean, no, I think a lot of them are really trying. Um, something that I think a lot about is the fact that there are so few opportunities. There are not very many opportunities for trans people to come together and build community. Like, there are some support groups, but there aren't, like, a consistent group of people there, and the conversations rarely ever get very deep or go on for very long. And something like the Transgenerational Theater Project, where you're spending, like, a set amount of time building a community and you're creating stuff together, it's a model of... It's a model of engagement with this community that I think supports mental health for trans people and supports um, like also like gaining access to different resources in a way that I haven't seen very many other people or organizations or institutions doing um, and I would really love to see more of that just more creative and um, innovative ways of engaging the community and, and building support systems for trans people in particular. I think someone's question says, tell me a time when you feel felt healthy. seen. Ooh, tell me a time when you felt seen.
Hmm. A time when I felt seen. I would, I mean, I think. <laughs> wow, this is hard. It's not that it's not good that this is hard. <laughs> no, I want to answer the question though, because the other has to be. Um, I mean, this project has made me feel seen. I think it took a while. Um, I mean, the transgenerational theater project. It took a while because I think people didn't quite understand that I was, you know, not not a trans, not a not woman identified. Um, but I think, I, especially the younger people in the project last year, I think they really saw me because a lot of them were gender nonconforming, um, and I don't think they knew a lot of people my age who were I mean a lot of them were like especially like the 19 year olds I think they saw me in a way um, that a lot of people my age trans people my age do not um, also because I, I, I think they, they saw my gender and they saw my politics um, yeah 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 so now um, I want to ask you one question, and I, um, I don't know if you can answer like using one, one or two, like one or I two ask words. A question that can answer like one or two words just quickly. Okay. What do you think of our United States political system, Republican <laughs> and Democrats? <laughs> uh, I think it is all bullshit. <laughs> How do you feel emotionally, mentally? Now are wrap up questions. And how do you feel emotionally, mentally, bodily right now? Um, I feel good. It's so funny when you do something like this. You reflect. It, it gives you an opportunity to reflect on like your whole life <laughs> and where you've been and where you are and where you're going. Um. And it's just a nice reminder that I've been through a lot and that I've fought and that I've um, worked um, really hard simply to survive and especially to thrive. And I am thriving, um, which is not something that many trans people can say. So I'm very lucky to be able to say that. I can see it on your tears. <laughs> Diana, if you love when I cry. <laughs> if you wanted people to hear one thing from you, what would it be? If I wanted what? Oh, if I wanted people to hear one thing from you, what would it be? Ooh. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. Um, one thing that I... I have a mantra that I really like sharing with people, um, and I think it's great for trans people in particular because as I was saying earlier we are constantly going through almost constantly going through a state of healing 
Um, and uh, yeah, let me say it and then I'll give the caveat afterwards. So the saying, the mantra is, or maybe I should say mantra, I don't know if that's right. Uh, the saying is, I can't control how long it will take for me to heal. But I can control the quality of my life during that time. I will say that that might not actually be true for everybody. Not everybody might be able to control the quality of their life at any given moment. Um, but if you do have any sort of control over any aspect of the quality of your life, I think that, that focusing on that, focusing on what you can control and what you can make beautiful or feel good for yourself will help you through that healing process tremendously. And then the last, the other thing I would want, I would, what was it? I want people to hear one thing from you. Um, you want people to rem the question is, if you want, yeah. wanted to be remembered for one thing, yeah. what would, oh. would it be? If I wanted to be remembered for one thing? Oh, definitely this. I mean, definitely a transgenerational theater project. Uh, I think also just being a radical, being an anarchist, um, challenging everything and um, like just my just my like vision of the world cutting through all the bullshit and and striving for total liberation okay we almost wrap it up if there is anything you wanted to add oh is there anything else i want to add um well i want to thank you dianique for doing this um i want to thank the transoral history project for existing at all um i want to add i want to add that i didn't get to talk about new york a lot but i mean there is i don't think there's really any other place that i could imagine myself being as trans as i am um i mean maybe out in san francisco but like eh, that's too small for me uh it's I think that's what I love about this city. What I love and what I hate is that like you can you can get lost here in a good way and in a bad way. Like you can get lost in that like you can be whoever the fuck you want and most of the time people aren't going to care. Um but in the bad way you can slip between the cracks very easily here. Like there are so many people that you can be forgotten about. Um which is scary and which I think I would love to see the trans community, you know, have the resources to be able to support those people who might be slipping through the cracks. Um, and uh, what else do I want to add? Um, I think that trans people are magical. Absolutely magical. I couldn't imagine, I could not imagine not being trans. And I wouldn't want to not be trans. I would not want to be cis. I mean, it is an it is an opportunity to unlearn and undo things that were spoon-fed to you as a child that are completely bullshit. Um, and it is an opportunity to create 
to recreate yourself and to create your own, completely own understanding of who you are and to to own that and to revel in that and to express that through so many different ways. Um, and it, it, is, it means being a part of something that's larger than yourself. It means... Um, it means, you know, challenging norms and it means, um, yeah, being like a, a magical creature, <laughs> like a unicorn or a, a mermaid. Um, and I'm very honored to be part of that magic. So trans is magic. Trans is magic. <laughs> okay. So um, would you like um, would you give the opportunity to some people to learn about transgender people, like some people that are close-minded, but now they're in the middle of the spectrum, trying to understand it, but they're not yet. We will give them the opportunity to, to learn, including cisgender women. Do I have anything to say to them, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Something I think about a lot is, like, if gender is a galaxy, that actually means that cis people don't exist. Like, this idea that your gender that you were assigned it at birth matches the one that you have, like... Who the fuck assigned your gender? And like, no one should be assigned a gender. Like, you should choose your own gender. And if like, I guess if male or female like works for you, like, okay, that's cool. But like, there are so many other options. Like, you can be whoever the fuck you want to be. So like, do that. You know, have fun with it. Like, explore. Think critically. Think critically about your gender. Like, really do. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you've never experienced any dysphoria. That's great for you. And, like, what are you missing by not exploring it? By not, like, really looking deep into, like, who you are and the possibilities of who you could be and that you get to decide that and that no one else does. Love it. Thanks. So it was my pleasure to interview you and it was an honor. So once again, thank you for give me that, giving me that opportunity. Me, Dainik Martinez. Thank you, Dainik. So it's a pleasure. <laughs> thank you. Gracias, mi amor. <laughs>